This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few moments, Peter Shusecki, founder and president of Everything Financial Group, returns to our program to take your calls and talk about what a real financial plan actually looks like. On his last visit, Peter had many listeners rethinking their plan simply by asking one question. Who benefits from this, me or the bank? He's provocative, he makes a lot of sense, and he's coming right up. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. TransLink issued a reminder that is, as usually the case every year, all fares go up again next Saturday, July 1st. I'm sorry, on July 1st. Next Saturday is June 1st. Okay, we got a reprieve. This summer, single-trip adult and concession fares using the Compass Card stored value will go up about a dime for any number of zones traveled, amounting to a 30-cent and 20% increase respectively, a uh, 30-cent and 20-cent increase since fares started going up annually in 2017. All monthly passes up by 3 bucks, and that completes the $7 increase in fares over three years. Separate fares for the West Coast Express will be seeing increases on Canada Day as well. Now, I'm still not sure whether this is a relief or not, but later in the year or in early 2020, TransLink plans to implement a new fare system that abolishes CBUS and SkyTrain's existing zone system in favor of a distance-traveled fare system, which is commonly used on other major transit systems and now is possible here in Vancouver because of the Compass Card. We talked about this last week. The latest forecast from BC's River Forecast Centre came out this week, and our snowpack this year is low, about 72% of normal, which is not as out of whack as it may sound. The range is quite wide, too, with 58% of normal snowpack on the island, 94% in Peace River country. The scientists say there's a lot of year-to-year variability with the snowpack. The concern this year is not flooding, although major rains could still pose a problem. No, the big worry is glaciers. With less snow on them, once the snow all melts, then glacier ice beneath the snowpack may see some melting. Just for comparison, this year's snowpack, 72% of normal. Back in 2015, our snowpack level was 12%. So we should be okay this year. Drivers south of the Fraser got their turn this week as police conducted a crackdown on speeders. The initiative, part of a province-wide campaign this month, has been dubbed Project Swoop and involved officers from Surrey, Langley, White Rock, and the Abbotsford Police Department, all set up from White Rock all the way down Fraser Highway right through to Abbotsford. Plenty of warning, all sorts of volunteers with those high-vis vests and speedboards standing on the side of the road, giving drivers a chance to slow down. Many didn't. The cops and ICBC say the the statistics never change, unfortunately. Quote, speeding is actually one of the largest contributing factors to fatalities and collisions with an average of 82 people killed a year as a result of speeding, they say. And for the record, a speeding ticket can cost you anywhere from 138 to 438, plus a possible impound for excessive speeding, plus demerit points. Save your money for summer holidays, for crying out loud, slow down. And British Columbians, speaking of summer holidays who love the great outdoors, will soon have nearly 600 new campsites to choose from. The province announced plans this week to build 362 new campsites in 13 provincial parks and an additional 200 or more and a dozen recreation sites. It said the sites in provincial parks will be primarily in areas with the highest demand, like right here in the lower mainland, in the Thompson 
and Okanagan, the Kootenay, and Mount Robson areas. The new sites add on to 431 spaces built last year, making for more than 1,000 new sites in total. The province also says camping fees will not be increased this year. Many of the new sites are already to go and can be booked online at discovercamping.ca. Some more of our stories that we're following this week will come up a little later on in the program, but right now we're going to take a quick early break before we welcome back Peter Sisecki from Everything Financial, and we'll open up our phone lines right after this. And welcome back to the program this soggy Saturday afternoon. I do believe the rain has stopped downtown, not necessarily the case around Metro Vancouver. I'm Sterling Fox, and it's a real treat to welcome Peter Sirsecki back to the program. Peter is the president and the founder of the Everything Financial Group. Welcome back. Good to see you again, Peter. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you back, and I'm, I, you're feeling a lot better than you were last time, and you made quite an impression last time. Our phones went crazy. And here's my takeaway from your last visit with us. You talked about um, uh, going to uh, a banking institution, mm-hmm. pick one, and, and you want to buy something like a mutual fund or whatever. So you go, and the the representative at the bank sits down across from the desk, uh, the desk from you, and sells you something. And then they put it all into a nice little file folder with your name on it and financial plans stamped on the front of it, and hand it to you. There you go. And you said. That's not a financial plan. That's an estimate. That's right. A Explain, lot, Peter, yeah, please, because I recall that line <laughs> you vividly. It's a great line. Why? It's, it really is just an estimate. When you go in and someone gives you a projection, if you will, of what your money will do if you earn four, five, six, seven, whatever percent you want to put on it. Right. What is it going to earn over the next 20 years if you put in this much money and it earns this much, et cetera? Well, first off, no one has a clue what it's going to earn for starters. But if that's the case, where's the plan in that? What does that tell you you're going to be able to do with that money later on? That doesn't tell you how much you need, how far is it going to go, how much is going to go to taxes, how much are you going to get in tax deductions? That's not a plan. That's a product. And a plan involves many different products, many different solutions, but a plan cannot be bought, put in a drawer, and left there to collect dust over the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have people who review their plans. They come in six months, months, eight months down the road, and the plan is, they've changed. They, They come and see us and go, Situations changed when I was last year. Last year, I now need to do this, or mm. or, or we've I'm decided doing not this, to sell or, the house, or, or not to sell the house. Exactly. I had a client uh, in yesterday afternoon who was looking at, she thought buying a house, but her relationship situation changed, and she says, "I can actually afford to put more money away now, and I want to save for a bigger bigger down payment. What is the best way to save that money? Where should I put it?" And people automatically go, especially going to banks. Buy more RSPs, buy more RSPs. Well, if she bought more RSPs, she'd put herself into the lowest tax bracket. So why go buy more RSPs? That's not always the solution. It doesn't mean you're not going to save your money, but you have to find the best solution to your situation not just buy a product for the sake of buying a product. And, and, and with that sort of one-size-fits-all mentality behind the product, too, Peter. Yeah, there's no such thing as one-size-fits-all. Every single client we see, it's a, it's a different puzzle being built. There's a different solution. There's a different map to get you from point A to point B. And that's what makes the job so much fun, because every client... Every situation is different. No two clients are the same. No two situations are the same. And the path to get you from point A to point B, C, and D, and beyond is always different 
with every client. So there is no uh, automatic answer because I'm sitting here and I'm completely intrigued by what you were saying about with your client whose circumstances, personal circumstances have changed and she's looking to save her money in the most productive possible way. So is there a route that many of us don't even know about in terms of saving smartly? Yeah, there is. You you really have to look at, um, first thing, it all starts with doing a plan. Like people who buy products, a lot of clients out there just, and people don't think they have enough money to see a registered financial planner and actually do a plan. Oh, that's really true. And, and they think... I'm too small potatoes. Uh, yeah, I don't I'm have too, enough. I'm, I'm not in this that no, league. No, and that, there's not, nothing could be further from the truth. We, we use the investment council planning model that I talked about because we will not, and I haven't done it in nine years, sell mutual funds and all those ridiculous hidden embedded fees, which you know I get a little passionate and irate about because oh, I can't good. stand those fees. Well, we're going to talk about it but, too. But people think the investment council planning model or AKA for short portfolio manager, you have to have a certain amount of money. We have agreements with companies for clients with $0 and up and clients with $5 million. They, you know, the fee we collect, which has to be disclosed mm-hmm. is the same, no matter what company we deal with. There's no us being bribed to go this company or that company. And when, why don't people disclose their fees? Like mutual funds and the hidden fees drive me crazy. And we had a conference call two weeks ago with a major financial institution. Let's just leave it at that in Canada. Okay. I won't mention which one it is because, you know, we don't want to do that. But we got them on the phone with the client and pinned them down. Well, here's what we're disclosing. Here's our fees. And they said, well, you must have more fees than that. It's like, no, we don't. Companies under the investment council planning model are a fiduciary and they have to disclose every fee. So we went to the bank person and the salesperson. Well, this is the one fee you're disclosing. What about you know this fee, trading fees, management fees, and so on and so on. And we listed all the fees. And they, he said, well, I'm not really sure what those fees are. And then came back with, well, we're not required by law to disclose them. Oh. Like, why would you deal with someone who's not willing to tell you what they're charging you? Like, if you go, if you go to get your car fixed, don't you want an estimate and find out what you're going to pay per hour? Oh, you you, you won't leave the you won't leave dentist. the repair shop you're, unless you have a firm idea of how much they're going to skin you for it. Exactly, your dentist itemizes your fee, your insurance for your car, your insurance for your home. If you get in quotes on those of what it's going to charge you. Why wouldn't you do that with your most important precious item, which is your money being saved for retirement? Why should that not be treated the same as those other things? You don't go to the grocery store and buy this coffee versus that coffee without knowing what you're paying. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't you be able to do that with your investments? Well, I'm going right back to the opening of this show, and I'm looking at my own script here, because on his last visit, Peter had many listeners rethinking their plans, and I had air quotes here, friends, simply by asking one question, who benefits from this arrangement, me or the bank? And a lot of people come to your offices at Everything Financial here in Vancouver or in Victoria and ask that question and are quite disturbed to find out <laughs> that they are not the primary beneficiaries of this arrangement. No, we, we show the fees and, and there's some things out there that just drive me crazy. And I, I like to give examples to people because maybe it'll affect someone out there. And, and you know what? The whole point of this is people can go wherever. My job is to educate people 
and let them go ask the questions that they don't even know they're supposed to ask. So right. here's one for everyone. I had a client come in who had been dealing with the same company for 20 years. And they bought initially what's called Deferred Sales Commission, DSC mutual funds that we talked about before, where they charge you an upfront fee, but it's embedded for seven years. If you move that money from that mutual fund within seven years, you're the one paying the fee, not the advisor. They get their full commission. They've already gone to the bank and bought whatever. They're good. But after seven years, no more fees. So these people were shocked and mortified to find out when they went to move their money to us that they'd been there 20 years, they still had fees. And we, so we looked into it. So said, this, this, this should have been 13-year fee-free. Fee and they had Shouldn't deposit money for over seven years. So okay. it's not like there's new money going in that would have a new so fee structure. So they're still getting charged. So that, that's, well, here's what the advisor did. We found out. There's an item out there called churning. And I'm going to have some people churning in their seats probably when they hear this one. But what they do is they take your money that was in XYZ mutual fund, where the fees had expired, Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we've got a better idea. We've got Mutual Fund B over here. Look how well it's doing. Let's move your money over to that one. Right. Whole new seven-year fee structure. So, Do they have to ask permission of the client to move that money? They're asking, is it okay to move your money? And the client says yes. The client's not aware that they're going in to a whole new fee structure. structure. Now, this doesn't happen all the time. This isn't like this is a rampant thing with advisors out there pulling the wool over people's eyes. Happening once is too much in my eyes. This thing thing needs to be made completely illegal instead of just kind of gray area where this happens. And it does happen. And some companies have stepped up, mutual fund companies, and frowned upon this and don't allow it. The point is, if you're in a company that that's even a potential situation... That's not a good thing. That can't happen when you're dealing with the investment council, again, portfolio management model, because everything has to be disclosed. I have to disclose 100% of every dime I make. Okay. There's no danger of churning. There's no danger of DSC because we don't have them. That's not how we get paid. That's not how we charge. It's a flat fee model that's disclosed to the client. Last time you were, you were here, Peter, we talked about these your new competitor on the block, these robo-advising mm-hmm. companies, and they have some pretty striking ads on TV right Absolutely. now featuring some dissatisfied-looking younger people, usually telling generally an older-looking investment advisor, and I put that in quotes, uh, I'm moving my funds and I'm going to go with the algorithm people. Yep. And there was a terrible shock and all the rest of it. And they make the point in the, the script that, you know, I'm, I'm not keen on losing up to 30% of my investment in fees. Is that true? Is there that much possible loss in a mutual fund st- a fee structure? You bet. Wow. I mean, a 2% difference in fees over a 20-year period can make, on, on say, a $10,000 investment, you're talking over $100,000 mm-hmm. in 2% in fees. That's ridiculous that you should lose that much money. And for and I talked about this last time, for a younger person, going to that ETF model, the robo-advisor, is not a bad way to start. There's no planning involved. Right. You're just buying a product. And that's where we do use those products, but provide the planning as well. Right. And that's kind of the difference. And as You're you, going to and, buy this product because it fits into and, what and, you're and trying to achieve. What's the right thing? Do right. you buy a TFSA? Do you buy a mutual? Do you buy sorry an RSP, or should your money just go into some sort of short-term savings account that might not be earning that much right now, 
but gives you the freedom because you don't know what's going to happen in six months from now. Sure. You, it's all part of a plan. And again, every, and this is kind of our mission with our, our people, every person deserves a plan. Every person should have one. I said, that's everybody's right. It's not the right of someone who has a hundred or 250 or a million dollars. It's the right of the person from dollar one. Right. The earlier you start, the better off you'll be, the more planning you can do, and the, the more advancement you will make. And having someone actually watch your money and guide you in the right direction is great because then you're not making these mistakes later on when you're already five, six, seven years into it and go, what do I do? And I hear from people all the time in their forties and something go, man, we should have talked to you or someone like you a long time ago, we'd be further ahead, but it is never ever too late to get things on the right track. You'll Peter, be better are, off than you were the day before. Why are people so intimidated with the notion of sitting down with a financial advisor if they don't have all the loot in the world? Is that it? They just figure, oh, I guess I'm, uh, for whatever reason, there's an insecurity involved with, you know, I've only got this little amount. It's mine, and I've worked hard to get it, but, you know, compared to the guy at the, in the next office, you know, I might as well just be out to shining the headlights on his car. You said the word. It's intimidating. I don't know why pe- people come in to see me who have heard me on air or referred to me from another person, they go, I was a little intimidated. Now, you've met me, you know me, there is nothing intimidating no. about me. I'm pretty, <laughs> I tell it like it is, I lack tact, I will I will tell you exactly, no sugarcoating, that's the one thing maybe, that's maybe not my best forte, but I think that's one of my best things is I don't sugarcoat, because I'd rather, in this is a situation, not knowing your situation causes people a lot of anxiety. You bet. But it is better to know your situation, good, bad, or otherwise, whatever it is, and make a plan than not knowing at all. Because I guarantee you, with the people we see, and I hear this from people who go to some of my colleagues at other companies, once they sort of take the doors off and unwrap their situation and they at least have some insight into it, their anxiety level goes way down. I mean, no matter what that is. I, I, I had a client in recently who didn't even know how much money she actually had. And once I went through and showed her, it's like, well, geez, I'm not nearly where I should be. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Because now we can develop a plan to get you where you should be. Better to know what you have, no matter what it is, than not know it all. As I call it, the ostrich investor. A lot better to have your head out of the sand than in the sand. He is Peter Sisheki, the president and founder of Everything Financial. You can check out the website if you need at any time. It's everythingfinancialoneword.com. And uh, we're going to take a break for the news here, Peter. Gosh, that was a fast 15 minutes. Holy smokes. Let's open up the phone lines. You were a popular guy last time around and uh, controversial. But as he says, he's not a big sugarcoating sort of fella. You want the answer, the real unvarnished answer? He'll give it to you. Lines are open as of this moment at 604 We'll take a break for the news to 2.30, and we're back with your calls and lots more with Peter Sisheki from Everything Financial here on Vancouver Consumer. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer for a Saturday afternoon. Sterling Fox in studio with Peter Sisheki, who is the president and founder of Everything Financial Group. And uh, their website, by the way, it's a good one too, a great resource, everythingfinancial.com. Peter, we were talking about disclosure and fee structures for mutual funds and other investment vehicles. Do most investors, do most people hold mutual funds more than any other type of uh, investment vehicle? That's what I'm seeing. Uh, and Still. Still, because part of it is they don't realize there's other alternatives. That's one of the biggest biggest things out there is they just don't realize there's an option to go to that will cost them less of have full disclosure because the biggest sales force 
are the banks. Right. And the banks are selling mutual funds. The banks have their proprietary mutual funds that are theirs to sell, where the salesperson actually gets one set of commissions if they sell the proprietary in-house mutual fund and a lower set of commission and bonus if they sell something from a, a third company. party from right. another from a from a known company. Right. And people don't know that. They're not made aware of that until now. Uh, and they just think the days of the portfolio management because it did used to be up until 10 years ago where you had to have a certain amount of money to go with those higher end independent companies. Right. But you don't anymore. But what people find now is, and, and we hear this all the time, is people will go into the bank and go, oh, sorry, you don't have enough. You're going into this product. Uh, when you have X, two hundred dollars or $500,000, we'll move you to advisor A on the other side of the desk over here. And right. they get passed around from person to person. So how does... Instead of just person. saying, no, thanks, I'll move, I'll go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, and how does the person know what their plan is? Well, no one's actually working on a plan. They're working on selling more products to them, but not combining everything together and see how one item affects another item affects another item to get you to your goal. Okay, It's all about getting to your goals and helping reach your goals and making sure you're on the right track. It is so easy because of life and other things happening and kids and jobs and everything else to go off the rails mm-hmm. and having a written plan and having someone who shares your goal with you, your, your registered financial planner, who's you've made part of your team, allowing you to stay on track and say to you, Oh, look, um, this happened in my life. That happened in my life. Oh, you're a little off track, but if we do this or this, you'll be right back on track again and be on, and on the way to your goals. Cause if you're reviewing it constantly, you're never really going to get too far off track. if you'd like to join the conversation or have a question for Mr. Shiseki and uh, financial questions uh, or investment or financial planning and all of that sort of thing. Mutual funds remain popular because they're seen by many, Peter, to be safe. They're less risky than buying a stock in a mining company or a transportation or an oil company. Uh, they're, They're baskets. But now there's another new basket option out there for investors called ETFs. How do they stack up in terms of popularity versus mutual funds now? They're basically a mutual fund. They're a mutual fund with lower fees run by a computer. That's that's all it is. It's, it's the same idea. It's a lower cost version of the same item, which is fine buying that product. But you're buying a product and not sure where to put it. Which one do I buy? Well, I like this one. It's got a nice name and a nice logo. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not really part of a plan, making sure you're in the right risk level. More importantly, though, do I need RSPs or do I need a TFSA or should I maybe scrap all that altogether right now and pay down my credit card bill uh-huh. or pay down my line of credit bill or look at, um, I've got a, a you know car payment that's out of hand or, or get my mortgage more under control or maybe I just need to put away money somewhere guaranteed and safe so I have that emergency fund established for a rainy day. Because anything you buy, mutual fund ETF, that's a, that's a stock-based product, mm-hmm. even if it's a bundle of stocks, still has some inherent risk. Oh, sure. And no guarantee on what your rate of return is going to be. No one knows what that rate of return is going to be. They use estimates. They use plans. Mm-hmm. They use targets. But no one knows for sure. 
So sometimes, and we're right in the middle of a potential global trade war, et cetera, et cetera. It's not the safest and the smoothest of times. No, we're um, a little overdue for, as they say, a correction or yeah. something in the market. But you, can, you can't predict those things. You can't time those things. But that's where if you have a sound plan, something to fall back on, those things don't really affect you as much because you're not planning for tomorrow if there's a recession or correction or whatever the case may be. You're planning for 10, 15, 20 years down the road. You look at the long picture, but the long picture doesn't mean, well, buy, hold, don't touch it and just ride it out. Mm -hmm. That's not a plan. That's more of a product-based sales pitch. The plan is, what do I need this year to maximize my tax return or pay down my debt? Like, what what are the solutions the registered financial planner is going to give me versus the salesperson who's just going, well, buy another product, buy another product. Oh, you need more RSPs. Mm-hmm. Well, why do I need more RSPs? I mean, I said that, I think, last time. where I was in a bank at the counter, and it was the end of February. Well, you have you maximized your RSPs was was the question. I'd never been so insulted. I thought, are you kidding me? You don't even know if I need RSPs or if I should or what my tax situation is. And I said, well, why would you ask me that? Well, if you don't maximize your RSPs, how are you going to retire? That's the kind of service you get from the bank. You're getting a teller, not a listener. Mm -hmm. So if you want to deal with a teller and just buy a product, you want no effort involved, you want no follow-up. Go to the bank and just buy a product. Oh, isn't that what those algorithm robo advisor uh, companies? Some, it's pretty much the same degree, deal. But if you're it, young, they may even give you more information. Well, they'll they'll give you the same thing, but they'll give it for to you for a cheaper price. Yeah. So that's not a bad thing. If you're going to just go and just buy a product, do it for the cheapest fee you can, or do both. Do the combination of the two. Deal with a portfolio manager with very inexpensive, very cheap. I mean, disclosed fees, but you're getting a plan at the same time. So at least have a purpose to your purchase not just buying something for the sake of buying. And like I said, the, the case I looked at the other day, one of them, the person said, well, should I just buy more RSPs? Well, no. If you buy more RSPs, you're going to lose about 6% more on your taxes because you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. Why give the government a reprieve on 6%? Save that till you're making more money and you can get more bang for your buck in your RSPs. So in this case, with the extra money this person had, we went to TFSAs. Okay. Now, saying that, people, some people say to me, I had this happen a few weeks back, well, I've never had much success with TFSAs. Tax-free and, and savings, savings account. account. And right. why did you have not had much success? Well, I was only making a percent and a half at the bank. Right. Well, it's not the TFSA that's the problem. It's the, it's the product they put you in. They put you into a daily interest kind of TFSA. Well, Th- they lean on the savings account aspect yeah, of the description a, a, of the product a, rather than the investment potential. Yeah, because a TFSA, remember, you're not claiming your growth on income tax. Right. So put it into something that's got long-term potential growth. TFSAs are not meant for a savings product to pay a hydro bill in 30 days from now. That's not what a TFSA is for. Right. It's meant to complement the rest of your investments as part of your long-term planning projects. Now, a, a, a little bit more education on TFSAs, if you don't mind, Peter, sure. please. And that is when you purchase, once you've got your money inside your TFSA, your tax-free savings account, and you decide, well, I'm, it's, 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 it's earning less than inflation just sitting there. I better buy something. I better put it into an investment vehicle. Does the dividends or do the dividends that that produces, if you're lucky, mm-hmm. do they, even if you, you have that product for the rest of your earthly days, is anything produced by that product by way of profit tax-free forever? Yes. 
That's that's not that's so a roll, plan. Roll your dividends back into the TFSA, the growth you're not paying tax on. Right. That's the whole point. So you you put into a TFSA the item with the biggest earning potential. Sure. As again to complement your plan because if all you have is RSPs and pensions at retirement, that's all going to be taxable. You do need as part of your solution with your plan some other money that's not going to be taxable at retirement just to compliment you. So you have more money in your pocket. You have some non-registered money. You have some tax-free savings account money. Mm -hmm. Again, it's all part of the solution and the big picture as opposed to just buying a product. Okay, back to products and bank speak for a moment. Again, to just sort out some of these terms that get thrown around oh so carelessly. What's the difference, for example, between a proprietary investment, Peter, and a regular investment, if there is one? Well, okay. So we'll go proprietary investment will be, again, we mentioned last segment, a mutual fund salesperson selling you their own in-house mutual fund product, sponsored, logoed, possibly built by the bank, where they're going to get a separate commission structure. They get a bigger percentage, bigger piece of the pie in their commission bonus off of the proprietary product than they do off of the third-party product, which is some other company not owned by the bank, but they do have access to sell those mutual funds. But why should that be? Why can't you just go to someone and say, what do I need? What fits the bill? What's going to help me with my plan? And the planner is disclosing to you exactly what they make on every single product. Now, portfolio managers have to, Mm -hmm. by law, disclose what they make. Mm -hmm. Registered financial planners have to disclose what they make. And in our case, with the three companies we deal with, one company from zero to $50,000 in account size, one company 50000 to a million, and another company a million and over. Okay. We disclose this to the client in writing. Every one of those companies pay us the exact same referral fee. So there's no incentive for you to sell one over the other. No incentive at all. Okay. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, I don't care what the product is. I care that the company who's building the product knows what my client's goals are and build the product to fit the goal to help my client reach their goals, period. That's my job is to help the client reach their goals. And the better the company is on putting the right portfolio together, the more chance of success we have. The lower risk you take with that portfolio, the more chance of success you have. Okay, interesting stuff. Uh, let's include some callers as sure. we continue our conversation, and we'll uh, we'll start in Surrey. Nigel, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I have questions about two products, uh, RESPs. Are there any self-administered RESPs in the market? And the second one has to do with annuities. Uh, do you deal with annuities uh, when a person, a retired person, may be uh, looking to uh, park uh the proceeds of a sale of a house when they are moving into condo, for example, specifically life-insured annuities. So RESP and life-insured annuities. All right, Nigel, I'll send you back to your radio for uh, for uh, the response. Let's start with registered educational savings plans. You've talked about two products, yep. yes. RESPs. What's the story? There are self-directed RESPs where you can help choose the investments, um, but is, and, and you can be more involved with it if you wish to. But when you're dealing with portfolio management companies, you're dealing with someone who consults with you, figures out what the investment is. And really, in the end, when you're saving money for your kid's education, 
don't you want to make sure you do it at the lowest cost possible? But I will, just in case this was part of the question, maybe I didn't understand. Self-administered. Yeah, is with the person, there's different types of RESPs that they should know of. There's RESPs through a scholarship type company, and then there's RESPs through either portfolio management or mutual funds. Okay. I would take the mutual funds and the, and the um, portfolio management over the scholarships any day of the week. Because when you see the fees involved from those scholarship companies, those are definitely not self-administered. Uh, you can be on the mutual fund side or the portfolio management side. Those are more towards the self-administered, self-administered side. Scholarship ones, those fees will just can kill one year of education for your child. The annuity part. Right, annuities. Uh, okay. so, short on time, but the annuity part, yes, we deal with those, but it's, again, it's all part of the plan, looking at what is the best product for the client. And the thing about annuities are they're based on interest rates. Interest rates right now... Not exactly historically high. Not exactly historically high. And what you need to look at when you're doing that is really people get stuck on interest rates. Don't look at interest rates. Look at the real rate of return. That is the spread between the interest rate or the money you make and inflation. Look at the difference. That's really tells you what you're making. And if you're getting an interest rate, say on an annuity, that's about the same as inflation, you're really not making any money, are you? Only a minute left, and I want to end on fees. I get the impression, based on your years of experience with everything financial and beyond, Mm -hmm. most of us just flat out aren't insistent enough, not even close, when it comes to understanding what we're being charged to save money. Exactly. No one has a clue, but we buy a piece of software every year that gets updated that actually discloses the fees, the hidden fees, the embedded fees of every single mutual fund on the market. So we have no problem you know, tearing the wrapper off and showing people. So is it is it because we're Canadian and we think it's rude to ask how much you're going to gouge us? <laughs> well, if, if, if someone in Canada, if someone charges you a high fee, they just apologize and you forgive them. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? No more of that stuff. It's <laughs> our money. We work too it hard is your for money. it, Peter. It's your money. Take an interest in it. Find a registered financial planner near you who's going to give you the straight goods. Maybe they'll lack tact, but you know what? Better to know the truth than be in the dark. He's famous for not sugarcoating, and that's why he's back with us this afternoon and hopefully for several appearances down the road. Everythingfinancial.com is the website, friends. Peter Sisecki is the president and founder of Everything Financial in Vancouver, Victoria, and sometimes Arizona. Sometimes in Arizona. Today looks like a good day for Arizona, <laughs> no actually. <kidding. laughs> Great of you to stop by, Peter. Hopefully we'll see you again soon. You bet, Sterling. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm our pleasure entirely. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Peter Sashenki for another very informative visit. Thanks for the calls as well. Coming up on our next hour is Johnny 1%, John Carlson, with more on Vancouver real estate. Time now for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, looks at Canada's new air travel regulations. Thanks, Sterling. Proposed new rules to protect Canadian travelers will require airlines to provide status updates every 30 minutes if flights are late or cancelled, according to finalized regulations released Friday. Here's Mark Jarnot, the Federal Minister of Transport. The rules in place now, finally, after two years, they're very, very clear. The airlines know what their obligations are. Speaking at Pearson International Airport outside Toronto, Garneau released an updated version of air passenger protection regulations first unveiled last December. The changes will be phased in beginning on July 15th and cover denied boarding compensation, tarmac delays, and compensation for lost or damaged baggage. 
on December 15th, the rest of the rules become law, prescribing how much an airline must pay travelers if a flight is delayed and specifying the level of service a passenger can expect to receive from the airline in those circumstances. However, Gabor Lukacs, founder of not-for-profit advocacy group Air Passenger Rights, doesn't believe the new rules will be enough to satisfy critics. What we get here is incomparably worse to the European gold standard. In Europe, if your flight is delayed or cancelled for maintenance issues, the airline has to pay. No excuses. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. Surrey and Langley residents are solidly behind the proposal to extend, extend rather, SkyTrain down Fraser Highway, according to results released by TransLink. The agency collected the data as the first stage of a public engagement on this proposal, and it attracted a record-breaking response. Nearly 17,000 people from Surrey and Langley answered the survey in early April, 85% of them backing the project, including including 92% from the township of Langley, 90% for the city of Langley, and 82% of the city of Surrey. In the rest of Metro Vancouver, 84% of us also backed the plan, so it's darn near unanimous, and here's why. Respondents ranked predictable travel times, efficient use of public money, and comfortable and safe travel as the top considerations. If SkyTrain is to go all the way to Langley, TransLink needs to find another 1.5 billion dollars, which is what they have right now in the kitty, but that's only enough for half the job. So, plenty of work left before shovels hit the dirt. Ford has unveiled Digit, a two-legged, almost human-like robot capable of making home deliveries. Digit can walk up, go downstairs, carry packages of nearly 20 kilos like a human. The robot can, for example, collect parcels from a driverless vehicle and deliver them to the homes of clients. The robot also folds up for easy storage and transportation on that self-driving vehicle. The aim is to make car and robot communicate so the car could share delivery details and map info with its robot. Digit is also equipped with cameras and light detection and ranging sensor to avoid obstacles and make safe deliveries. Just another surprise from Ford's technology research and development department. And that is our show for this hour, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira at the controls. Andrew's new weird science feature, by the way, friends, is now on every Sunday. Sunday night on The Shift with Drex. It's weird and fun. We appreciate your feedback, and if you have any thoughts or suggestions, send them along to sterling at cknw.com, or you can tweet us at Van Consumer. Podcast versions available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast place. We'll take a break for Global News to 3, and we're back with John Carlson right here on Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.